appropriate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're back. I don't feel fine. I don't know about you guys, I don't feel fine. <laughs> you know, I heard that song the other day and I actually did feel fine. After I heard it, I thought, it is, it is the end of the world and I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad we're being yeah. positive about it. Uh, episode 7. I think. Yep. Wow. We're actually maintaining this. That's shocking. We're creeping toward double mm-hmm. digits. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're... That's all, right. That's all I have in me. Ten episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, tidbit of news. Uh, Phil, you're going to be joining us for the foreseeable future, are you not? Yeah. That's the plan, I guess. Awesome. That's that's good. No, that's 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 very good. So we're, we're happy to have you sometimes. Uh, I'm happy to be here sometimes. I'm going to wait and see how performance dictates my reaction. <laughs> Bill does a performance evaluation after every five episodes. It's clear to everyone. Um, so, what, we're, we're about two weeks in now yep. for Trump. Um, we're we're going to try and dissect as many of the cluster fucks as possible. Um we we like what's 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 your take like what's what's going on what are you feeling you, you know, apparently feel fine I so feel fine, fine. I, I will say I'm exhausted so I just want to watch the world burn yeah. <laughs> I mean it's it's this is this is so exhausting it's every five minutes I, I'm now addicted to Twitter because if I'm not checking I'm missing whatever moment of insanity has happened uh, it is I don't know it's 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 hard it's it's I feel stressed yeah, yeah it's it's exhausting yeah I I have. I'm having trouble um, maintaining the balance between like uh, feeling like I need to know what's going on because at any moment something incredibly important might be happening and feeling like I have to take care of my sanity at the same time. I will say, Phil, you guys can't see Phil, but you don't look good, Phil, right? I mean, you 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 you, could, you should eat an orange or something, right? <laughs> I was trying to think the other day of like a good analogy or metaphor, something to capture like what this is. And I, I keep thinking, I, the closest I can come to is like, it's it's as if it's like a fire hose that's just been let out of control <laughs> and it's going in all different directions and soaking everybody. And then when you find cor- is in the corner smiling. Right? You know? <laughs> good. good. Yes. <laughs> I, I will say it's, it feels strangely historic right it feels like something of significance has happened and historic doesn't mean good i i, I, no. I this is <laughs> this is monumental in terms of i i think we'll look back on this to say this was uh, unconventional at, at at the minimum in, in no way is this business as usual right so like this is like whether it's whether history deems it good or bad or whatever it, it's yeah it things are <laughs> changing <laughs> yes. things are yes. like and I think that's part of what makes it so hard to wrap your head around and to keep up with because it's not it's not following your typical patterns of how politics would play out in the first two weeks of a president's administration. No, it's because it's not even politics at this point. <laughs> no, it, uh, I will say yesterday, so uh, we're taping Wednesday and Tuesday, Trump announced his Supreme Court nominee. I felt, it felt like a normal day because nothing insane happened mm-hmm. uh, and he was just introducing somebody and I thought, well... This is how it should normally feel. And then this morning he was talking about Frederick Douglass still being alive, right? And you know. <laughs> Please tell me you saw that. I, I, I have seen, I've been busy all day today, so I saw references to Frederick Douglass, but oh. I didn't know. So what he actually, 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, we've, we've got the quote. I've got the quote here. Yeah. So um, it was. So he's he had organized a, a group uh, for Black History Month, and so he had uh, uh, a group of African Americans around the table. And he describes. He says, "Well, this is Black History Month, so this is our little breakfast, our little get together." Uh, and then he goes on, and he says he talks about Martin Luther King, uh, but then he gets off in a rant about somebody with you know taking the the bust was here the whole time. But okay, here's the Frederick Douglass quote: "I'm very proud now that we have a museum, National Mall, where people can learn about Reverend King, so many other things. Frederick Doug Douglass is an example of somebody who's doing amazing things that are just now being recognized more and more. I notice uh, so." <laughs> So Frederick Douglass, Douglass, who's done an amazing job that is being recognized more and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, all right. So Nick, Nick, you don't suff, suffer fools lightly. Um, you know, tell me, <laughs> where are you at? <laughs> so yeah, I, I've been wanting to ask you this because the last two times we've done this, Bill and I have been on in a mild panic, and your response has been. It's like week one. So now that it's week two, are you feeling still like we should give him a chance and we're overreacting? So in response to that, uh, I had to make a soundboard for us <laughs> to lighten the mood. So I just, yeah. Hey, maybe I've been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's not, it's just not good. Um I, I was talking to other people about this earlier, and, and they're they're relatively conservative members of my family and friends and whatnot. You know, all right, you got to go in there, in there, and you know, defend him. Well, no, no, I don't. Yeah. First of all, second of all, I'm not sure I can right now. It's it's just everything is so out of left field. Yeah. Like I like, and realistically, in any other situation had and you know we'll talk about the the travel ban moratorium and all of that stuff like if there was some forethought and some process to it and people just disagreed with it i can understand that but it's literally like he's just pulling shit out of thin air or throwing (laughs) darts at a board or pulling something out of a raffle bucket all right let's do that yeah that sounds good (laughs) So, write it up. I know we were. I know we we're planning to talk about later, but it seems like a, a like a fine. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me we're going to delay this conversation. But I like part of what has been baffling to me is that, like, it's not just that I have concerns about his policies. It's he. There are times where he seems insane. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, yes. it's not just, like I mean that the the Frederick Douglass thing could be that he's just uninformed, but it's a little strange. the The speech, the CIA speech, in which he's talking about how he's gotten the biggest standing ovation since Peyton, Peyton Manning, Manning. The Super Bowl. Like, yes, what does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. Like that. That's just nonsense. In some of it, but he it, says it so seriously, like it's. But it's not that he's, like, making a joke, right? He's, like, yeah, this is the world he lives in. Well, in the CIA speech, it started with Peyton Manning, and then he went off on the rant about taking the oil. And I would have loved to have seen the crowd. Are people looking at each other? Did he really say we're going to take the oil? Did he say that? And then sometimes he's like, no, he didn't say that. And then he doubles down. And he says, no, we should have taken the oil. And I did get the biggest crowd, you know, plus since Peyton Manning, right? <laughs> yes. Um, 
I, I mean, I'll say this for him. He's keeping his campaign promises. <laughs> He's yeah. consistent there, yes. Like, the all of the, the most... I think outrageous ones. He's going to first. He's mm-hmm. not. Uh, he's not afraid about that. Nothing he has done. Like everything he's done so far has been. I mean, you can be traced back to his campaign, and yes. people didn't take it seriously when he said it. But he's right. he's doing right. it. Right. Yeah. I, I... There was that. There was that quote. They said, you know, that some people are taking him seriously, but not literally, and some other taking literally, not seriously. I think he is, he's pursuing his literal campaign agenda, yeah. uh, as absurd as some of it may be. He's, he's aggressively pursuing it. He was both literal and serious. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the quote of the day. Oh. Uh, I, and and uh, we might as well just go into it. So, yeah. I mean, over the past weekend, let's just go into the travel ban thing. Can we call it a Muslim ban? Yeah, no. <laughs> Fear not, Muslim friends. We're here to find terrorists. I'm clearing your minds of all anxiety. Where's that from? <laughs> Team America. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's a good place to start. It's it's a moratorium. Moratorium. Yes. You know, and realistically, and I think it was, um, who was it? Chris Christie even came out and said, you know, it was horrendously executed but i mean of all the things that he made a campaign promise about i thought this was the most likely to happen whether you agree with it or not it was relatively speaking the simplest to Mm. to undertake and you know you can talk about it being a muslim ban and whatnot which i like i like i i know that it is in when you really dig down into it when you ask Rudy Giuliani when he, you he ask tells him you the about truth it, yeah that's whatever but at the same time you go okay i mean there probably does need to be some changes to the vetting process and it's not like they're banning people from like Indonesia or Saudi Arabia or Qatar or something like that for other reasons besides yeah. you know them being Muslim majority countries um, and it is a moratorium it's 90 days 120 days except for the Syria thing right. which is indefinite indefinite I, I do think there needed to be some changes having said that I like you it's like he said you're 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 done you're done for a while figure it out <laughs> yeah all of you, I decree this. <laughs> For me, it didn't make strategic sense and it didn't make moral sense, right? So if you're thinking about a foreign policy agenda, you know, the, the, the countries on that list are not any of the real countries that, you know, were the 9-11 attackers. Uh, this is just a campaign or a propaganda tool now for ISIS. That's my fear. So strategically, I don't know if it gets makes you safer morally it's really tough to defend domestically. Internationally, we're getting hammered. I, I don't know if you guys saw the British Parliament. Probably not, because uh, uh, that's what one shouldn't be watching the British Parliament. But they, I mean, they were livid, and so Angela Merkel called him up and was so you know, you know, strategically it didn't seem like a good decision. Morally, didn't seem like a good decision. So for me, I'm going like, and it wasn't implemented well. This to me seemed like, you know, what, what's he thinking? Phil? Yeah, no, no, you're right. There, so um, there are about 12 different angles from which you can be critical of what just <laughs> happened, right? Like so, and, and you've seen people critiquing it from all those different angles. And so, yeah, to touch on ones that you're talking about, um, from a foreign policy, U.S. place in the world, uh, you know, angle, it's, 
not great, right? Like it, we've <laughs> we've yeah. pissed off a lot of people. Um, you, it, it's uh, and and that's not just a like hippie liberal critique as well, right? You've, the, the leaders within the military have and within the intelligence community have been talking about the ways in which this undermines the U.S. perception abroad and what they're trying to do. And there's there's real, um, I mean, beyond just like perception, because you can make. You know, someone can make an argument about it. who cares. Screw what the world thinks of us, right? But there are there are more um, direct problems as well that have cropped up. Like, for instance, the the logical thing to do, which is what's happening, is that the countries that we have implemented these moratoriums or bans on um, are returning the favor, right? And so that's going to make it difficult for U.S. contractors. So the Iraqi parliament has has discussed. I don't think they've implemented it yet, but it looks like they will implement. Iran has implemented a ban on U.S. Um, visitors, um, which you know, <laughs> yeah. do it. Who cares? Right. That's your thought. But the, we're in, in Iraq, we're in the middle of fighting against ISIS, right? The whole point is to fight ISIS. And this prevents U.S. contractors from going to ISIS. It prevents people from going. Military visas are handled a little differently, but um, military people have been talking about the ways in which this makes difficult. So that's the Iraqi decision to ban Americans. But the decision to ban Iraqis also makes it difficult to bring Iraqi soldiers to the U.S. to train at U.S. military bases. So it's not it's not, you know, in the process of trying to fight ISIS, it's not beyond the like warm, fuzzy reasons why we shouldn't be doing this. There are very cold, practical, you know, strategic reasons why it's problematic as well. Uh How, How they went about it is telling, too, because I know that Usually when you make a big decision like this, everybody weighs in, right? So you have the Defense Department, Homeland Security, everybody has a voice and reviews this. And it's it's telling that the Trump administration didn't do that. So Mattis was caught off guard. Uh, Kelly at Ho- Department of Homeland, uh, yeah, whatever it was, Homeland Security, 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 Security. Yeah. right? Not services. <laughs> uh, was didn't know about it, and they're all saying, "Oh no, no, it's okay. We were part of the process." But you get the sense that the foreign policy decision making process in the Trump administration is going to be very uh, exclusive. It, it will be Trump, Bannon, a handful of individuals, uh, you know, uh, and that's that's troubling when those big organizations aren't part of a, a major decision. So this is my thought on it. And, you know, obviously I, I don't disagree with your point, Phil, about, you know, the the, the intricacies of, of what this does to relations with these these seven countries. What I do think is that they're approaching this pretty much like we thought that he would, like a businessman. This is a negotiating tactic. We know, realistically, that they need us more than we need them in this situation. So if they decide to ban U.S. contractors for a certain point, they lose the ability to fight a war effectively, which I'm sure they're going to find a way to get around if you're talking about military visas or contractors related to the military or... uh, you know, oil and natural gas or something like that, they're going to find a way to do it. For everybody else, I think they just say, fuck them, because that has no bearing on, on them. They don't care about anyone else. Um, I, I mean, that's that's my opinion. I, I think, I don't think it's right. I, I do think it could possibly be effective down the road. I mean, just wait and see. Like I tell you all the time, just wait and see, damn it. <laughs> I mean, there's also a danger in, in, I think there's a, it's not a danger, there's a, tendency to view this sort of narrowly, right? So we think of, you know, refugees or people coming from Iraq or whatever, and and we think of a specific type of person. I don't know what that is. I think Americans tend to think of terrorists, but 
Um, that, like there are all sorts of other like the 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 uh, Iran and Iraq and Syria and I mean these countries are not like, like America has real business interests there. This this makes it difficult to bring in like there are exchanges. Of, we live in a globalized world in which businessmen are traveling to and from, academics are traveling to and from. Like there's a it, it there even if it works in the very sort of specific prevent terrorists from coming to the U.S. kind of way, there are also these bigger sort of economic and intellectual costs that go with it. And and maybe when we weigh those, the security versus these other sort of large scale costs, we decide that security is worth it. But that's not even a discussion that we're having. Like people aren't even thinking about or I think people aren't aware of or don't think about the sort of bigger implications of of what this does. Right. No, so they, they think of some Iraqi guy who doesn't get to come and who cares. Right. right. But they don't. It, it, it's it's. More com complicated than that, I guess. And, and the PR of it too. It looks just. It makes the United States look terrible globally. Uh, and and I think when you think if if ISIS is the number one goal right now, this is such a recruitment tool for them. I mean, they. I'm sure. I, I know they've. There are already videos out of Trump talking about taking the oil from Iraq. That's already out. I'm sure this Muslim ban rhetoric will be out next, and and that makes the job harder. And again, that's what. You see the military saying, that's what you see behind the scenes Mattis and uh, the CIA saying, you know, former CIA directors coming out and saying, this makes our job harder because so much of this battle isn't necessarily on the battlefield, it's for hearts and minds. And this is not a hearts and minds strategy, sure. especially when you exclude Saudi Arabia, right? If you're going to... If you're going to be legitimate, he had to go and say, okay, Saudi Arabia is the epicenter for exporting terrorism, right? The ideology, the money, all of that. And the I think to your point, Phil, the economic interests, the connections with Saudi Arabia were too big. And they said, no, 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 we'll go after Somalia, right? Who cares about Somalia? Uh, but Saudi is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here, the other aspect of this, I think, is, is that – or the reason why I'm skeptical that it will accomplish what it sets out to accomplish is that – I think what it sets out to accomplish, we're already doing damn well, right? So like the, the these the country, people from these countries, if they want to come to the US, they have to apply for and get a visa, which is not a simple, straightforward, quick and easy process. So they have to apply and go through a very thorough screening process. Um, it's not extreme vetting, Phil. No. <laughs> the, and that's nothing. So the other two groups that are particularly kind of, that are really sort of shocking or appalling, refugees right which go through like a two-year process of screening like it's incredibly difficult to actually be mm -hmm. accepted as a refugee into the united states so that like his his statement about we had to announce this suddenly to prevent people from rushing to the united states is it expresses a, a lack of understanding about how the process works right you don't get to go to the baghdad airport and jump on a plane anytime you want right like you have to months in advance get permission from the u.s government to come right so they're already going through the screening process and I think one of the things that really upset people was the fact that they applied it to green card holders, who are people who have have legal permission. They, so if the complaint from lots of people in the U.S. is that, and for a long time, the complaint has been you have illegal immigrants and the reason that's really crappy is because there is a legal process and you should go through it. And we're taking people who have gone through that process and checked the box and gone through the screening and telling them, suck it. <laughs> you're, no, you're you're out of luck, right? And, and that's that's what's that, that's where I so I don't I don't know that like banning them certainly means that the so if if you really thoroughly screen people coming to the U.S. versus banning them altogether, banning them altogether will I guess and you know prevent more bad people from coming here. But 
the we're going to screen them really damn thoroughly was how I mean, we were doing that already. No, right. No, no terrorists. Like we haven't had terrorist attacks from these countries. We haven't had like or, know, from, or from refugees. Right. We've never had ref, right. a refugee who's been accepted who's carried out an attack. Um, because I don't yeah, think people well, realize how hard that attack. is. They have like, like, committed crimes. Obviously. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Just like everyone right. else. But. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Committing a crime is not usually a, a valid reason that we take for like you know doing away with everyone's rights and getting them out of a country though. Says so you. <laughs> the, uh, the the LA Times did a piece this week where they were they were looking at at Bannon, Steve Bannon, and that their argument was that this is really just the first step. That Bannon, Steve Bannon, who I think might be pulling a lot of the strings in the administration, is looking at Europe and saying the the Muslim population there is angry, it's frustrated, there's violence, there's terrorist attacks, and he wants to prevent that dynamic from happening here. And so it's about it's about preventing more individuals coming to the United States, and then the next step will be about getting those here out. Uh, and that again, that is that is a bold and very very controversial perspective. He that, didn't say that though. Did he, he didn't say that. Uh, no, he absolutely. Has. He kind of has. <laughs> like he's expre- he, he he hasn't said that explicitly, but he's had lots of quotes about. Uh, I saw one today in which I don't remember when this was from, but he said something about how twenty percent of Americans are immigrants. And then goes on to make some comment about how, like, is that really what we like? Very much making it clear that that's obvious. Like, that's that's a bad thing. That's a despicable thing, right? Obviously. And his next, the the I guess that was leaked, or one of his potential next executive orders is to start cracking down on yes, uh, on even legal immigrants, right? So if you are an immigrant here and you are in any way getting government benefits, you get deported as well. So, and there have been talks about cracking down on the H-1B visas, which are the, you know, mm-hmm. people who have gone through and legally gotten the right to work here. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it can be said enough, like, regardless of what you think of Trump, Steve Bannon is a white nationalist, right? Like, he, this is, that is his worldview. Um, and that's been clear for a really long time. And so, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, he, he, Wants fewer immigrants. He's made that clear. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's going to run into guys. We're seeing, I mean, it's, again, we're, we're, what, 12 days in. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be more battles between Bannon, uh, Jared Kushner, I think that 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 more narrow group, and guys like Mattis, and maybe even Pompeo and Flynn. I don't know where those guys are. Who, who's the, who are the key voices? And I think Trump... I think Bannon is whispering in Trump's ear, and the, at least the early stages suggest that this is. I mean, he wrote for the most part. He wrote that inaugural address, the early camp. We you know the conversations on torture, the wall, uh, the Muslim ban. All of that is a reflection of Bannon's perception of foreign policy, and that that's that's important, right? Understanding who's going to have uh, a strong voice in this administration. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I come from a. A more conservative standpoint, but I think if there's one thing that does need to be done that I probably would agree with both of you and just about everyone else on the other side of the yeah. aisle is that he needs to go away. Bannon. He, yeah. he just needs to be the, gone. Him going to the National just Security for, Council. For, uh, for PR sake. He yeah. just needs to be gone. Right. He can still hide in the corner of the office, but he can't right. be like, can't yeah, he can't have an official no, role. Just sit yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> and, and so this, again, that was maybe of all the... You're in timeout. <laughs> you're in timeout. Of all the stunning things that have happened in the last couple weeks... The fact that they're now elevating him potentially to the National Security Council is yeah. that, that that might be the most significant, and de-emphasizing the role of the Director of National Intelligence and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Right, that's that's a major shift. Mm-hmm. 
so let's talk about why that matters. Yeah. Because I don't. I think some people don't really get why that matters. Yeah. Can you explain it to me, Phil? I, I, I knew to say <laughs> that, but I don't know why it matters. <laughs> All right. So it matters. <laughs> my take is it matters for two reasons. One of which is that for a long period of time, the National Security Council and the Principals Committee and all of that has been viewed as an apolitical place, right? So um, what you do when you're the president and you meet with the principles committee is you're deciding issues of national security and national security should not be partisan, right? So yeah. so you want the CIA director and the joint chiefs of staff and you know your, your intelligence officials, all, all of them there to help you make decisions about what is best for the United States and what is good for Republicans or good for Democrats shouldn't play a role. And so in the past two administrations, there have been brief and unfruitful attempts. I guess Axelrod set in on one or two meetings. Axelrod was Obama. allowed to sit in, but not say anything. So he was in his, the whole thing there was that he was observing, but not a participant. And there was mass, there was outcry. About yes. That. Yes. Oh, the insiders were very angry. Yeah. And I think Rove in the Bush administration, there was a similar sort of controversy, but it's been this well well, respect. I mean, the, the philosophy of it, at least, is um, certainly, you know, you make foreign policy, national security decisions. And, you know, after your meeting, you can go talk to your political advisor and they can you can talk about the political impl implications or manifestations or whatever of that. But you don't want, you know, you don't want your primary motivation to be getting reelected when you're making decisions about war and peace and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's the sort of philosophical main critique. That's why you see. Uh, like insiders and purists who are up in arms about this. The other part of it is that um, on top of that is that it's Steve Bannon. It would make most people uncomfortable if a president had sort of political motivations for foreign policy in general. But when those political motivations are being whispered out of the ear of a yeah. white nationalist who yeah. thinks that, you know, that anyway, that that's sort of doubly concerning. If Steve Bannon shows up at my Super Bowl party, I'm concerned, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> How did you find me? <laughs> right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, my sense is that amongst Republicans, there is concern about Steve Bannon's role because, you know, whether we're talking about the, you know, the, the travel ban or torture conversation or the wall, there's this, this sort of traditional group of, of national security Republicans who are very concerned about the shift that Bannon has initiated. Uh, and you saw that this last week where they were pushing back. I, I really believe that Trump is way less of a partisan figure uh, than we think. I mean, this is, uh, if any pressure is going to come, it's not coming from the Democrats. Who, I mean, they're they're basically irrelevant in this conversation. It's it's an internal debate within Republicans about where this administration goes. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think I think it, I had a conversation this morning about this with a with a, another friend. I, I think you almost have to think of Trump and his administration as a third party, right? So he. He's not really a Republican. I mean, he's he has the Republican label because he won the Republican nomination and whatnot. But his certainly if Bannon is the driving factor, then he has essentially a populist nationalist appeal, which is there are parts of that that yeah. touch on Republican ideology. But it, by no means like it only lines up if you had Venn diagrams of like Trump and the Republican platform. There's some overlap, but there's a lot that's not. Phil, everybody went to sleep when you mentioned Venn diagrams. I know, I know. <laughs> there are a few nerds out there that got excited. Your tongue prettier than a twenty dollar whore. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and in that sense, I think like this is where you have. I, I think it's easiest to understand like the tensions between Paul Ryan and Trump in that sense because they have. 
a few policy issues where they line up, but they have a lot that they don't. And this kind of back and forth and who has control and who can pressure the other will be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how, because I don't think Trump doesn't give a damn about the Republican party. No, I don't. no. And neither does Steve Bannon. I think Steve Bannon, I mean, Paul Ryan is enemy, actually enemy number two, media is number one. And then Paul Ryan might be number two. And I think the Democrats are a distant third, if, if even that for a guy like Steve Bannon, he's a bomb thrower. Yeah, What's they're, that? Losers. they're losers. Losers. <laughs> oh, but that—that's the interesting thing because you have, even though they are sort of, kind of different parties in some way, they need each other at the same time, and that's where you have this weird tension that's been playing out for the last week over things like the immigration ban, in which you have Republicans who have, I think, philosophical issues with some of the stuff that he's doing. Yeah. Um, who have concerns about executive power or about religious tests at the federal level or things like that. But he's, so in that sense, they're opposed to him. But in another sense, he's part of their team and he's necessary. And you have, I, I, I don't know, I think, I, I think there's, you know, some real kind of wrestling amongst Republicans about what, you know, where do you draw the line? And to what, I mean, for Paul Ryan, you don't. Like Paul, yeah. <laughs> even, wasn't he, he was caught on mic, right? Did you see that? Where no. he was... He was asked about the immigration ban, and his response was, it was like a hot bike. He wasn't supposed to be yeah. recorded, but it was like, I don't have time for this shit or something. <laughs> oh, really? totally, not, not, not for the question. Like, his yeah, expression yeah, yeah. was that he's, like, so pissed at Trump because he doesn't have time for this shit. Well, McCain, I mean, McCain, I, he's just getting lathered up. Like, you feel like there's there's something coming from McCain because yeah. now he's got six years. Yeah. It's called a coronary. Right, right. <laughs> and he's, he's just waiting. And I think he, you know, he's like, okay, do I go after the wall? Do I go after the ban? Something's going to happen where it's... It's, it's a, a, a ticking time bomb where Republicans pull back from Trump, or at least congressional Republicans do. Yeah. Um, although, I, I guess to, to, to the big picture, a poll came out and 49% of the American public supported the ban, mm-hmm. yeah. which, given on, all this, the pushback and the protest, I, I was surprised with that. Well, they they protest almost, everything for every single, like anything at this point. Yeah. They're going to protest Uber because they were servicing the airports during the ban. I know. Fuck yourself. I like Perfect. Uber. I like Uber. I don't know about it. I don't know. Yeah. Perfect. But that, that poll was like perfectly on party lines though, right? It was like 80% of Republicans were cool with it. 50% of independents were cool with it. <laughs> yeah. And like 12% of Democrats were cool with it. I mean, it's like we live in a world where partisanship determines it's this totally backward, screwed up thing where we don't have like policy stances that determine our party. We have party affiliation that determines our policy stances. Well, I think it would be different if you asked the question whether they supported it or whether they supported the execution of this particular plan. I, I think right, in theory, right. yeah, pretty much every Republican, especially everyone who voted for Trump, is still going to be in support of it in some, not a Muslim ban yeah. per se, but some sort of, again, moratorium on people coming here granted this was just a giant clusterfuck and they need to get their shit together and how they presented it right. you know I, I think you're right that phil that it, there is this partisan dynamic republicans are on board but you know if you look at so some data came out on on the disapproval rating of trump you know hitting 50 percent uh and so they you know of course they looked at when previous presidents hit that amount i, I want to read through this nick always says we don't have enough data on the podcast so i got some data how many? That. <laughs> I, I heard it. All right. So, how many days it took each president to get to a fifty percent disapproval rating? Reagan, seven hundred and twenty-seven days. Oh yeah, I saw this. Bush Senior, one thousand three hundred thirty-six. Clinton, two 
only 573. So Clinton, up until Trump, is the low point. Bush uh, W, uh, 1,205. Obama, 936. Trump, eight. <laughs> eight! <laughs> yeah. And so that makes, makes me wonder whether the, that the polling can shift against him more quickly than we think. He's, he's massively unpopular. But what, what you have to recognize, though, is that amongst his, like, core base he's massively popular oh yeah right still, a right? plus a plus right. yeah. yeah this it's is a, no different really... than the general election i mean is anyone surprised that the numbers are like this really well, they've, only to the extent that they've they have fallen even since the election nah. right? so in the first two weeks like i saw one thing that showed that he was down his approval rating was fell one of the polls i saw either yesterday or this morning his approval rating was down eight points in five days <laughs> so That's... Yeah, it's so, a bad one. I mean, de- Democrats from the get-go didn't like him, didn't want to support him. Right. I mean, they're they're firmly in their camp. But for me, is it's going to watch is how many Republicans start peeling away. Right. And and if, if he loses support there, if he's only got the thirty percent of hardcore Trump supporters, he's in trouble. Like he won't be able to to get his legislative agenda through. He'll just keep doing executive orders. Uh, you know, and that that there's a limit to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't even necessarily know if that's true. Didn't they, the Republicans, just force through two nominations without any Democrats present? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw they did one, yeah. Tillerson, they, right? Tillerson got through Tillerson, today? No, it was Tillerson oh, and um, who? Uh, was, the Attorney General. Oh, uh, Sessions. Yes. Ah. Yeah, they pushed him through, too. Was it Sessions? No Demo- yeah. 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 So, yeah, the, the, the Democrats were, were... No, I thought it was, I think it was Mnuchin. It was Treasury and... It was Manukin and Treasury and Price Manukin. for EPA. Maybe we're talking about two different things, but so there, those the committees were set to vote on those, and the Democrats boycotted, refusing to show up to the vote. Or I don't see, I haven't seen anybody as pissed off as Orrin Hatch when nobody was in the room and he yeah. was sitting at the front going, "This is the worst day of my life." <laughs> the, the, the rule. The long-established rules say that, I mean, even though the Republicans had the number of votes, the long-established rules said that you can't have a vote unless you have at least one member of each right. party there. Yeah. So by refusing to show up, they were preventing a vote. And so in that, in the Manukin committee, they just suspended the rules. They're like, right. yeah, rules don't apply <laughs> yeah. anymore. We're voting anyway. So, so, so let's... The, the Congress is just a bunch of goddamn immigrants. <laughs> no, they are. <laughs> like... The, this, the extent, to, the shamelessness in which they are willing to say that rules matter when it helps them and that rules don't matter when it doesn't help of them. Of course. Just, right. I mean, so, <laughs> so speaking of like approvals and uh, let's talk about the attorney general, uh, the firing. Uh, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Nick, all right, you, you go first. No, I, I, like, there's nothing even to go on. Like she, I, I, and I, I don't know which side to support in this situation. Yeah. I mean, obviously... And I, I can't, for the life of me, remember her name. Sally Yates. Yeah, Sally yeah. Yates. Uh, Sally acting. Q Yates. What's that? Sally Q Yates. Oh, <laughs> what does the Q stand for, uh, Phil? I don't know. <laughs> That's a terrible name. So acting attorney general uh, appointed by the Obama administration uh, who came out this week and said she could not uh, support the legal order and then uh, asked the rest of the attorney general's office not to, to move. So, who the fuck are you? Who? <laughs> Sally Yates? No, I mean, like really, who the fuck are you? Who the, do you think you are? The acting attorney general. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and, and this is the thing. Like, I, I'm sure you guys have a, a good grasp on this and I, I wish Suzanne here was yeah. was, was here to, to, to ask this particular question. To what degree 
Are you super? I mean, obviously, you're nominated by the president to fill yeah. the position. To what degree do you defend his policy position? So this was my, this was actually one of my favorite moments of the week was they found this clip when Sally Yates was uh, going through confirmation and Jeff Sessions, the mm-hmm. soon-to-be attorney general, asks her and says, "Now, if you disagree with President Obama, if you disagree with the president, are you willing to stand up and say no? Because basically, this is what you need to do." And she says, "Of course." I am right. You know that I'm willing to say well, yeah. no, uh, and, and then she got a chance to do that with with you know President Trump, right? So. Just not with Obama, right? Yeah. I, 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 there's no question in my mind. This is political theater, but it was brilliant, right? I mean, it was. She knew she had a couple days left. She didn't support the 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 ban. She didn't want to uh, pursue that, and this gave her a chance to yeah. Pause for one second. Yeah. Are you dismantling a bomb? What are you doing? Phil, Phil's trying to open a beer. He's not I having can't Manhattan. Open to... a bottle. <laughs> and the only tool I had available was a staple remover. Did it work? I'm bleeding. <laughs> but then I looked down, and the blood dropped, and realized that I have. You have a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> Phil might be the only person, only academic in the world who has a Swiss army knife in his office. <laughs> hey, I'm bleeding. All right, well, you open your beer. Uh, so this is this was political theater at its best. Sure. Uh, I mean, she knows she's gone soon. She can force Trump's hand, and he doesn't miss a beat. I mean, he, within an hour, is oh, firing her. Yeah. yeah. And so I have the statement. Can I, can I read part of the statement? God, yes. All right. So, and it, this sounds like it was written by Trump or a five-year-old. I'm not sure which one, but... Oh, come uh, on, <laughs> <laughs> so, sta- and I'll just read the beginning of it. Statement by uh, statement on the appointment of uh, Dana Bente as acting attorney general. Basically fires it. Okay. Uh, quote, the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, has betrayed the Department of Justice by refusing to enforce a legal order designed to protect the citizens of the United States. Then the next paragraph, Mrs. Yates is an Obama administration appointee who is weak on borders and very weak on illegal immigration. (laughs) It sounds like one of those letters that Scientology writes to people who leave. (laughs) Yes. Oh. With many points by Mrs. Jones. No, and you get the sense. I don't think Trump writes a lot of things in his life, but I think he wrote this. Like, he was mad. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he weak and then very weak. I mean, his command of the English language is fantastic. <laughs> yes. It has been revealed that they have several, like, 22-year-olds who are drafting their executive orders. <laughs> you keep so, seeing, yeah, I keep seeing the two people standing behind him and the, the, yes. when he's signing the executive orders. They go... She looks like she's 19. Yeah. What is she doing there? She's like, I just, I just wrote that. Right, yeah. <laughs> and some of them are congressional aides, right? I mean, this, uh, that, that's a problem in itself. Yeah. So, all right, so here's, I'll, I'll just tell you the truth about the Sally Yates. <laughs> oh, Sally Q. Yates. <laughs> so, yeah, they were both right, right? Like, so, I mean, I think Sally Yates was right to say, like, she swore to uphold the Constitution, not an oath to the president. And she was basically making a principled stand saying, I don't think that this is legal or constitutional and I'm not going to order my subordinates to defend it. Hey, um, you're not a constitutional lawyer. Shut the fuck up and know you're not you. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's her job, though. Her job as attorney general is to interpret the law and to make these in- enforcements and what that's her job. That's hearsay. And, and it's Trump's job. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's fair. And then it's Trump's job to, to fire her or hire her. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Right. So and, and Trump has the right to expect that his attorney general yeah. will fight for even if it's a losing fight to fight for his. Absolutely. Um, his 
causes, right? So that's what the attorney general does. So they, so I think, yeah, they're both right. And she, she has every right to do what she did. He has every right to fire her. It was terrible political optics, right? I mean, yeah. it looked awful. And especially this whole she has betrayed me is insane, <laughs> right? And like then, it should have been a level sort of, you know, Sally Yates and I have differing opinions on these poll on these issues, and I want to have someone in the office who's willing to fight for and defend my you know, <laughs> this this Dana Bente, the, the who was an Obama appointee who took over, they showed pictures of him. He couldn't smile more. Uh, you felt like this. It was like he's finally got his moment. He's yeah. like, I'll. I think he said, "I'm honored to serve. I'll sign anything." You know, you, you know this, I, I wasn't going to work my way up this high ever. Don't even bother. Never been have, boss, to have, two, to have a two week job before. Right. <laughs> I'm putting this on my on my resume. <laughs> Because he's only there until Sessions get, or someone else gets confirmed. Right, right. So he's done yeah. at this point. Yeah, exactly. There's no way he's sticking around. So, yeah. No, it was I, I still think it was Sessions, sessions? that they, they said they pushed through. Well, that makes sense because I, I would think the Democrats would do everything they can to stop him now, right? He's, yeah. He seems to be him and, and DeVos, who apparently as of yesterday was plagiarizing her answers. Um, From the Department of Education <laughs> webpage. <Yes. laughs> Oh, God. Uh, the thing is, it's only going to get better when these individuals are in power. Uh, all right, to circle back to, to the National Security Council, then we can move on from the Muslim ban, Nick, I promise. Uh, oh, do we have you know, the, so, you know, you were talking about the, the best and the brightest being on these, these non-political actors. One of the individuals who will be on Trump's you know, principal table committee is uh, our favorite Texan. Secretary Rick Perry. Rick Perry. <laughs> Oh damn! So, <laughs> so you have you, I'm sure you have Bannon and Rick Perry, and I would love to hear that conversation between the two of them, right? Oh, so uh, this is something that I, I wanted to ask about um, with the uh, the I think it was the executive order that said you have to remove two pieces of uh, two regulations to impose new one, a yeah. new one, yeah, and they're instituting the Congressional Review Act. Where they can just do a simple majority vote to push that yeah piece through right. What do we think about that, <laughs> Phil? I mean, I, I this is I'm not as engaged on this one as you might be because I know you hate excessive regulation. <laughs> so so I, I, what? I I don't know I haven't followed it that much, but like I mean, here's the thing: it's stupid. <laughs> like I know I mean here's the it's stupid in the sense of like. It's not necessarily stupid to want to have less regulation. I get why people do that. Yeah. But to like to, to, to mandate this like mandatory weird thing it doesn't make sense. Like you wouldn't like impose that on like you know, your doctor. Right? Like for every, for every new medicine you prescribe, you must take me off of two, right? If regulation is necessary, it's necessary. Let's talk about the necessity of the regulations, not this like abstract notion that less regulation is always better than more regulation, right? Well, yeah, and I, th I think, especially from a congressional perspective, wouldn't it have made more sense to actually vet these regulations and yes. get them out in the open, especially if you have a simple majority like that that can... The bad ones, right? Yeah. Right. What are some of these bad regulations? Right, yeah. yes. Yeah. All of them, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, like, the fact that he had to come up with something that's so... It's just so simplistic. Like it just sounds like a, a like a King Solomon. Let's chop the baby in yeah. half thing. 
And like, I, just, I why? Why must you do that and make it so easy for them? Well, that's the thing. I, I will say he's enabling the Democrats, and I, I still think the Democrats are going to screw this up. I'm convinced they will. They'll screw up either the, yes, Supreme, the Supreme Court nominee or protest. Or, like, they'll find a way to drop the football. But, uh, no, he is handing them gift after gift after gift. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, that speaks to some extent, too. So I have what is in America – um, a relatively unpopular opinion, which is that I I don't have a problem with politicians, right? Like people who have been in government for a long time. I think in most cases, we like to have people who are experienced at the job they're doing, right? We don't, we don't tend to think like, for the most part, hey, you doctor, you've been making good money, and now you're corrupt. So I want someone, you know, get out after six years, I want someone who's new at this. So there, there are. I mean, there are certainly drawbacks to have people to having people who who are in office for four years. But there are real benefits too, right? Who understand yeah. the complexity of governance and how it works and the necessity of like compromise and all of these other things. So there are real benefits. And I think one of the things you're seeing in Trump's administration is that he is really the first total outsider, right? He's never been in a government position. And he's filling all these cabinet positions with people who have never been in a government position, with the exception of the generals who have, you know, military background. But that part of that, I think this sort of simple approach of like, here's what we're going to do. What's the problem with that? Part of the sort of lack of recognition of the problem or the is, is that they've not done this, right? They don't recognize how there are actually all sorts of nuances and shades of gray and difficulties, you know, that, that you have to, you know, you have to understand the Washington culture and all sorts of other stuff to get done. Yeah. Well, that's the problem I think is that you have to understand the Washington culture and the Washington culture by definition is corrupt to the nth degree. It's one thing to have people in there that are experienced and know what they're doing and know how the system works and can use that to the benefit of their constituents. I don't think anybody thinks that at this point. And that's the reason why you have these people in these positions now. Granted, we have no idea how this is going to play out. Right. I think we have some idea. But at the same time, and this was going back to the election, we know what was going to happen the other way. It was going to be exactly the same as it was the past eight years. You know, with... With more unemployment, healthcare available to everyone. Oh, shut up. <laughs> more more pantsuits. I will say <laughs> oh, gross. One, Don't make fun of the way she dresses. <laughs> Stop it. One one constituency that is loving this uh, deregulation emphasis is the market. Mm-hmm. Over twenty thousand. And that that is shocking. And and amidst all this crazy circusness of the first 12 days of administration the market's like we love it right. we love trump and i wonder don't you i i, I don't have much money in the market because as an academic we don't make much but um i think don't we feel like there's a there's got to be a bubble here or is the market just so excited about the prospect of deregulation <laughs> and again you know i i'm surprised how confident the market is in trump because nobody else is other than steve bannon and the market Although, yeah. Although I, I saw something about how he—I mean, he's—the market has dropped like 300 points in the last two days or something, right? It does that like every other day, and then it goes right back up. Right. What are you, but, what are you doing, Phil? What are you talking about? <laughs> right. People are making the argument that oh, in the first five days of Trump, we went over 20,000. It's right, the Trump yeah. effect. But then they're like, to, when it falls 300 points the next two days, they're like, oh, that happens all the time. No, but I, I think <laughs> the can't thought, have it both ways. I mean, the the doom and gloom that was out there before he got elected, and what could happen if you know to the market if he got elected, 
none of that materialized. Yeah. And realistically, it's been more positive than negative from from an economic standpoint. Granted, he hasn't done anything to really contribute to that, but... It's all speculation, right? The de- really I think it's the deregulation yeah. excitement about that. Because right. no, you're right. I mean, the the night of the election, the markets globally were panicked, and then they quickly stabilized, and it has mm. been a rocket since. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, I, I think he's had two successes: the stock market and his Supreme Court <laughs> pick are two ones where people are going to say those those were right. Mm. Uh, can we talk about, can we shift topics a bit and talk about him holding hands with Theresa May from the United Kingdom? Yes, please. <laughs> Phil, you were the one who pointed this out to me. And the Trump phobia. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not, like, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's crazy. And the more I think about it, the more I think, we're all weird, right? Like, yeah. Like, we all have our quirks. <laughs> let me, I, like, let me relish in Trump's weirdness for a little bit. Right, so... So yes, I, you and I talked a little bit about this bill. Like I, in the in the grand scheme of like humanity and compassion, like right. I should say, wow, that's really probably unfortunate to be afraid of stairs. Did you, did you heard this? He's afraid of stairs. Trump is afraid of stairs. He's afraid. Uh, yes. Like what he like because he has a bad hip or something, or there, it's like there was a no phobia. explanation. So when he was walking out with with the British Prime Minister from their meeting in. Uh, the White House, they were holding hands. Down one stair. Yes, and there was, well, there was a slope. There was a slope. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's back, let's back we've, up. We've engaged Nick. <clears throat> so they were. They went down one stair and he was holding her hand. Not until he got to the stair, grabbed her hand, finished the stairs, and let go. And then people said, well, that was odd. And then, it was interpreted as like a sign of solidarity, right? Yeah, like this right. is the Maybe special he's trying to be a gentleman. He's right, exactly. Man. Yeah, because yeah. he walked down the stairs for the inauguration. He had no problem with that. Flights but and then, flights of them. Yeah. So, like two days after this, a hover round or whatever the stair thing is. <laughs> reports in the British press started coming out. It came out from number sites that people within the Prime Minister's office were saying, in fact, I think they even had a release about it, that the reason they were holding hands was that. President Trump had expressed to her that he had a fear of stairs and he wanted to know if he could hold her hand as they walked down the stairs. Okay, yeah, and Hillary Clinton eats babies, okay? <laughs> like, it's... Come on, man. Nick, I don't care if that's not true. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the British press. We're going to take anything they put in those rags, seriously? Uh, where, where did it come from? This is an interesting dynamic. <laughs> this is total bullshit. Bill thinks this is fantastic. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. Which I, I watched him go down those stairs. I watched him go down probably 50 stairs of that inauguration. But he and pro- you're going to tell me he was afraid of stairs. Yeah, he, I, I, I don't think he liked it. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Alright, so for another interesting thing, so the Theresa May... I hate both of you. <laughs> that's what we're here for. To rile Nick up. So the Theresa May interaction was interesting. He's he's had phone calls with Putin now, mm-hmm. uh, phone calls with the president of Mexico, uh, po- uh, with uh, yeah that was you know the, yeah, actually a tweet canceled, tweet off canceled a meeting with the president. I mean he didn't. Yes, cancel. the president of Mexico canceled. Yes, mm-hmm. after which Trump shortly announced that they had jointly decided to cancel <laughs> on Twitter. Yes, yeah. uh, you can't say that I decided it. I said it first. And, and Angela Merkel called <laughs> him. I told my class it was very reminiscent of when my eighth grade girlfriend broke up. With me. <laughs> <laughs> we we have mutually decided to break up. <laughs> no take backs. Mm. 
I, I, I'm enjoying when these interactions occur, especially the uh, the uh, the Prime Minister from from the United Kingdom and Germany when they called him, and actually at the press conference for with Theresa May, they're emphasizing things to say like this is what you think, President Trump. So Theresa May was going on and on about oh you really like NATO, NATO is great. Donald Trump said he likes NATO, and then when Merkel calls, she's like. The refugee, uh, you know, international accord you signed. These matter, right? But they're they're kind of coaching him up on yeah. on what what matters internationally. Apparently, in the Merkel phone call, there was apparently some time spent in which she explained the Geneva Convention. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, oh. and I bet he was excited about. It. Oh, really? I didn't. That's I didn't fascinating. know. Fascinating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the, I, don't, I don't even know where, where to go on that. He's so he's not making a lot of friends globally. Um, whatever. Yeah, that's an understatement. I'm so, like the whole thing, I just think whatever. It's just I. Except for I, I, I saw something. Only two beers in. <laughs> Autocrats love him, right? You know, Duterte yeah, in the Philippines. Fantastic. Yeah, they're saying this is oh, you know, not 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 because of his, or not necessarily because of his policies domestically, but he's consuming all the air. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for Donald Trump, we would be talking about Vladimir Putin's anti-democratic practices. We would be talking about what's going on in the Philippines. But there's no space for this. Right. Um, and, yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean that's you have you have we're on the brink again of war in the Balkans. The Russians have picked up the conflict in Ukraine. Fighting has stepped up there, right? The stuff going on in the Philippines. Like, all of this stuff is happening because... Not totally because, but it's certainly convenient that there's coverage, right? Yeah, meaning sure. coverage, meaning we're busy talking about Trump and not paying attention to these other things. Mm-hmm. And like, China. Wait, should, I mean, we should talk at some point about China. China, the, the Chinese military basically came out with a press release this week saying that they're getting ready for war with the United States. Yes. This isn't this isn't going to end well. No, no, it it might. It might. You don't know. But last last podcast we we had an over under on how long Trump would last, and I'm guessing that number has probably gone down a little bit. I, yeah, so I I saw that same betting service, which in was fifty percent, right? What was it, fifty fifty that he would finish the term? Yes, and so I saw this week that it was. Basically, one to one odds that he is a one term president. Yeah. And it's like, what, five to eight or whatever? Slightly, slightly worse odds that he would be ousted within the first term. Yeah. But those are the top two. Like, those are both much more likely by the betting markets than he becomes a two year, a two term president at this point. Right. Yeah. But I mean, and we talked about it earlier. Like, realistically, I think everyone at this table, most people that we talk to, don't think that he's this hyper-partisan no, person. No. So who does he... I mean, we talked about Bannon. What does he need to do to not get to that point, then? To not to not get... Yeah, to not get ousted. <laughs> yeah. To not have his head lopped off in the fucking Just square. slow down a little he, bit, right? He, um, he, yeah, he needs to listen. Like, I, I am <laughs> no fan of Reince Priebus, right? But he needs to listen to Reince Priebus and listen less to Steve Bannon, right? Sure. Like... He like his total inexperience. He, he's he's just has to think more politically. I think in in these situations, the nature of the American democracy is things move slowly, 
and the first 12 days, things have moved extraordinarily fast, and none of them have worked out particularly well, right? I mean, it, either it's implementation or it's perception or whatever. It's, um, you know, there's protest everywhere. So he's, I think he needs to be a little more methodical in how he goes about this. And if he slows down, I think he'll be okay. Yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know. So here's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> here's my take on it. He has done more than enough to be impeached today, right? Like, just in the sense of the conflict of interest stuff, right? Like, he's, yeah. he's like... His sons, who are supposedly running a business without any of his input, were on the front row of yeah. the Supreme Court nomination right. announcement last night, right? Like, like, regardless of you know, there he has he has committed, he has done things that that in if the conditions were right would lead to his impeachment. Right. If it, right. If, if if Obama had done half of what he'd done, Republicans would be moving towards impeachment. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So. The, I don't. I I kind of think that I don't know more than like the politics of it or whatever. It's about his popularity at this point. Like he has to maintain popular support. The reason why Republicans and others aren't willing to call him out on his shit yeah. is because yeah. you pay a price if you do. Right? Paul Ryan learned this lesson when Paul Ryan refused to endorse or support or campaign for. Trump, his approval rating amongst Republicans dropped like 30% overnight, right? Mm -hmm. So, which is why Paul Ryan, if you, he evades every question, yeah. right? When they ask about, is this, is it like, what do you think about Trump's, uh, you know, conflicts of interest? And he's like, no, not my concern. Right? I need like, to get like, back he, to Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I, I kind of, like, I think the, there's, a, it's just a matter of whether or not he can, maintain enough support within the Republican Party, which really, I think, comes from the power of his base, right? If he if he somehow ostracizes them. And once they get through this first wave of what the what the congressional Republicans really want, their patience with him is going to grow. And if he keeps this pace up, they, they will say that that's it. You're done. You know, let's go back to Pence. Uh, will they do that? Can you, can you imagine? I don't I, I don't know. Can you imagine a situation in which he's impeached? Yes. Oh, of course. At some point, he is going to so embarrass. I mean, he's we're twelve days in, Phil, and he's embarrassed the party to a certain degree. So once they get enough legislative initiatives that they're happy with, they can say, "Let's get rid of him," and then we get Pence, and then we can have a reasonable Republican administration and get even more done. Uh, uh -huh. I, I, but but I don't like. Is that I I I don't know. I think the the base. Like there's a big chunk of Americans who love Trump, right? And yes, and yeah. if you push again, like he's gonna really have to collapse that support. Yeah. So yeah. it's not national support. Like dropping below fifty percent is is bad, right? Like it's indicative of his stance. But it's when he starts eating into that sort of thirty three percent of Americans. Yeah, right, who right, right. Love that's true. And I don't know, like I don't know what situation would arise that would do that. And well, this is without like this is. None of this even touches on what happens if there's some sort of terrorist attack yeah, exactly. or yep. conflict or anything like that, which will certainly surge his support. Well, the, well the, it, it, that also depends. Like I was How gonna, he responds. Right. Yes. I was going to yeah. counter your point and say, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see him eating into that base unless, you know, we go to war with China or something like that. Well, exactly. <laughs> like historically, going to war is one of the surefire, most surefire ways to improve your 
your like approval, right? Because people are like rally around the flag. I mean, this is like a well-established thing, right? Short term, and, short term, long term, it comes back to bite you, right? I mean, sure, George H. W. Like, Bush. Not, he's not concerned about long term. No, that's right. right. Like, that's oh no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh. <laughs> There's been a he's lot worried, of heads and hands. He's worried about 2018 and 2020. He's not worried about, at some point you become worried about, you know, 2050 and how people interpret your presidency. Yeah, but no, right, cares about oh, that. I'll be dead. You're not worried about yeah. that at this point. You and know? he's not, and you even saw that with, you know, today he was pushing congressional Republicans to say, get rid of the, you know, let's blow the whole nuclear option up. Let's just go back to 50 votes. We don't need a filibuster in the Senate anymore right. so we can get my, I mean, he he's absolutely thinking short term. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Phil, you just, I was in a good mood, Phil. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I, I think I, to a dark place quick. <laughs> I think to, to Nick's point, he is Everything, all of his wounds up until this point are self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, the world hasn't, there's nothing happened that he's had to deal with. And that will happen. There will be a global crisis. There will be a domestic crisis, either the economy, some issue somewhere. He will have to deal with something. And I'm not convinced he's he's ready to handle any of those. What? And, <laughs> and once that goes poorly, you know, I think you're right. It doesn't matter what kind of information to his hardcore supporters but if he mishandles some global issue, if he mishandles the economy, uh, then I think Republicans will turn and turn quickly. So it may be not impeachment, but I think his his approval ratings will not. Uh, I don't know if they'll they'll not survive at least four years. Mm-hmm. I, Nick's deep in thought. Yeah, sorry. No, I yeah, I lost my train of thought, and then I was thinking about what beer I was having, and then I forgot my thought of that. Um, and this is, you know, we're talking about down the line and, and whatnot. Do you see any positive aspect coming out of this? Like legislatures or legislators listening to their constituents more or, you know, not towing the party line necessarily or, or some some sort of... Yeah. Give me something positive. Okay. For the love of God. You're not going to like it, Nick, but there, I think there's some good things that have come out of this. One... I have been frustrated, and I think most of us, with the way in which our democracy works, right? Uh, it feels like nobody cares, there's a difference. Well, Trump has caused the democracy to move, right? So you're seeing, whether it's protests or whether it's legislative activities, I feel like people are suddenly realizing he is he is somebody to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And the protests around the country, the protests around the world are a reflection of this democratic impulse, which for me has been reassuring, right? Uh, To say that people care. Millennials, who I think in general don't care, uh, are out there, right? And so that has been exciting. And whether we agree or disagree with all the protest movements, the fact that people seem to care about what's going on in politics, that's been refreshing for me. Yeah, but I... uh, Yeah, Yeah. all right, yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with that. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm someone who kind of focus their lives around their life around yeah. learning about this stuff and, and keeping informed. But I do think it's good that millennials are, are more engaged. I don't necessarily know if they're, they're doing it for the right reasons. A lot of the time they all have their own causes. Sure. They're not thinking about the depth and, and the intricacies of the policy, like we're talking about, and I think that a lot it's of It's a gut reaction, the, right? They right. feel like something, just, something is disturbing. to do something about right. it. But that has an impact, right? So the Trump administration has responded to the democracy's impulses. So Trump has an urge. He does something dumb. The democracy recently has been responding to say, like, no, no, that's dangerous. And I, 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 
I think that is a sign of uh, hope, right? That it's not all doom and gloom. I think that's true. I think people, <laughs> yeah, I think people are thinking about issues and people are calling their senators and getting involved. And I, in general, I think that's, that's good, right? Like, yeah, I think there's uh but they're doing it because they they think they have a point, and it's coming more from an emotional standpoint than an intellectual standpoint. I, I feel yeah. like, and That's when you fair. And, yeah. and you think about, especially with millennials and their ability to actually talk to you know members of Congress, it's yeah. so easy for them to sure. do now. And I saw something where you know with the apps that, that are out there, and you know you can just find who represents you yeah. and send them an email or a text or something like that. There's like 500,000 emails a month. Yeah. And, and it's just about bizarre bullshit and people now have access to this without having to think it through. No, I, so, I, I, I mean, I, I understand your complaint. I, I would push back a little in saying oh, that Phil. you're making... <laughs> Phil, Phil loves a pushback. <laughs> you're, making, you're making a broad generalization that might be true of a lot of them, but I don't think it's fair to say that all of them are just acting emotional. No, right? no, no, I yeah, and, yeah. and if I are... made it sound like that, that's definitely not what I meant. I think there's a significant portion of the protests that we're seeing that are coming from an emotional place as opposed to an intellectual thoughtful Millennials place. should still subscribe to the podcast, which is now on iTunes. Obviously, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us five stars. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think I, even if you're emo, even if it's emotional, right? Like I, I think that you sure get involved, right? Like I mean, that's the it, I don't. It's not the ideal way, right? Like, like I would love it if everyone sort Voted. of philosophically <laughs> sat down and analyzed the logical extensions of right, their but policy right. disputes. But, yeah, I agree. Like I, but, I, I think that you know, it, again, it's good that they're doing it. I'm scared that those people come from such an emotional place and they've those been people those <laughs> shut up phil not what i meant <laughs> that particular segment of the people who are protesting right now they're just they're just angry and there there's not they're trying to make their out, their own outlet and when that outlet goes away you still have these angry people that are that really yeah. have only, only experience in creating an emotional movement what no, I think that that's a fair point, and I. But we should acknowledge the protest movement has not just been millennials. I mean, we think about no, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. There's, there's I wider, just use them as right. Yeah. No, and I think that's that. That is about the next step of educating the democracy. I'm on board with you, Nick. Right, yeah. that's so, great. But but I will say, <laughs> that's like, right. yeah, I'm excited about like whether whether we're talking about the you know the, the women's march, which was a very exciting and I think pretty sophisticated in terms of those movements, or a bunch of cabbies at LaGuardia who are like, screw you guys, right? You're saying no more Muslims coming in. Well, no more immigrants coming in in the international terminal, or at at O'Hare where you know they shut down travel. Right? I, that I think it's a creative response to the movements of the Trump administration, and I'm I'm excited to see that. Right? And and you're right. The next step has to be thoughtful and creative, and I think the Democrats need to need to pick up on this and be strategic and not be emotional and not be right. overwrought, which, again, I'm not convinced they are ready to make those good no. decisions. Have you, have you seen the media at all? I don't think they're yeah. physically capable of doing that. 
So I, I think throughout all of history, people have seen protests and said, those people are being silly and emotional, <laughs> sure. right? Like, like the civil rights movement, people were like, oh, those black people, if they quit being so emotional, right? Like, so I mean, I think- All right, <laughs> let's not go crazy, Phil. That's not what I was getting at at all. So I mean, I, think I, I mean, like those are legitimate movements. You're talking about people who were, you know, oppressed and didn't have the right to vote or, you know, Vietnam and people were getting drafted and things like that. You're talking about you don't even know the complexities of the executive orders that are being put out there. You're just, I, fuck this shit. I just, I just need to yell at someone. I'm going to make a sign on this box and I'm going to go out there and uh, say something. To everyone listening, I want to very clearly differentiate myself from Nick Snyder. <laughs> so I, I think, again, like you could say the same thing about like the civil rights movement. What are all those black people complaining about? Yes, right? They uh, have yeah. the right to vote. We ended slavery. What are we complaining about? Right, they we're, right. Again, how could they have it? we're talking about systemic things in the history of the country that did need to be changed. And if people thought that they didn't, that's that's wrong. But I will say, like, Trump is not shy about going after those things. Like, he's talking torture. He's talking health care. He's talking a Muslim ban, right? I think this is the time when people get lathered up for good reason and push back. I'm not saying that there's definitely yeah. not good reason to get lathered up yeah. in a lot of these situations. Clearly, I've, I've yeah. you know, toned down my rhetoric, yeah. at least on the first part of this podcast. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it... it Nobody's Stop listening it. anymore. <laughs> Stop it, Phil. Like I, I, I'm like I, I just get worried about that. No, and I think it's it's reasonable to say like what comes after the protest. You can't just have constant protest, right? right. There, there's got to be just what it's been. Right. You have to have individuals who are articulating the the vision and the motivations of those individuals. And I hope those emerge, right? I hope right. we get some people who come out and speak for the cabbies who are concerned about the rights of Muslims. And I hope we have you know leaders other than Madonna, right, who are are speaking about the rights of women. Yeah, and, they just need to go uh, away. So, no, I think those groups matter, and, you know, the, so I, I think those voices will emerge. I, or at least I'm hopeful. Yeah, and, and that's that's the other thing. You know, you see, you know, celebrities on, on the left, and you just go, like, you're, you're not what this is about. You really shouldn't be, you know, like, your point isn't necessarily wrong, yeah. but you're the wrong vessel for this. This needs to be something that's coming from you know the, yes. the populace and, and that that's yeah. where the change needs to come from and so, we voted against your particular yeah. po point of view because we don't give a shit no, about I, you I, the 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 except, hollywood elite yeah except <laughs> except more people voted for their point of view than against their point of view hey they have their game faces on. They didn't think strategically. Sorry, you're out. All right, can I, can, I, can I interrupt you one second, Phil, and point out that you now have a you now have a bandaid on your finger that you cut opening your beer bottle. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, continue. Using, using a staple. Yes. <laughs> MacGyver the shit out of that. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So yeah, I mean, I have a tendency, like I I for whatever reason have this like gut reaction again. Like when Meryl Streep got it, you were talking about like you know celebrities uh, or whatever. Meryl yeah. Streep gets up and makes her speech. My initial reaction was like, oh, like, this is not helping, right? But as I thought about it more afterwards, like, what? Sure, she has a right to say what she wants, right? Like, you, you were complaining about her saying it, but 
here we are on a podcast. Like, what gives us the right to have any say about We're anything? not nationally syndicated or right. being broadcast across the country. Phil, Phil there are three people like listening right now. <laughs> if we were, right, if we were, like, if, if you put me on, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why in the world I would be on national news unless I did something, <laughs> like, I was convicted of some really embarrassing crime. Like tragic news today. Yeah. yeah. But sure, right? Like, I, if I have that audience, like, why shouldn't I use it, right? To, to say, say yeah, things that I believe in. Right, and, like, realistically, again, it's not necessarily that their point isn't valid. It's the fact that you have so much opportunity and so much wealth that you cannot yeah. realistically speak for the people that are, actually, you know, th- yeah. that, are, that are having these problems. You are not the right vessel. No, I, and and that's where I do agree with the protests in a lot of situations. These are people that yeah. are coming from these backgrounds and areas that are getting affected by by policy changes and legislation that have skin in the game. These right. people say this shit and then they go back to their their mansions and you know whatever. Like it it affects them in no way, shape, or form. No, I, I, no I, I agree with that. I much, you know, the, the Bernie Sanders voice to me is more compelling than the Ben Affleck, right? Uh, no, and, and honestly, Democrats need to realize that, that the shift towards Hollywood, while financially good, yeah. that was part of the reason Trump won, is that you're missing middle America. And Ben... <laughs> Is that true? Like Trump's a freaking celebrity. Like he's a, like the backlash against celebrities having political opinions is mind-boggling when they just elected a reality TV show star, right? Like they elected a really the celebrity. Man, thank you. But it's it's the no. You're you're right. But Trump was Trump was smart enough to realize who to appeal to, right? right. No, you're absolutely right. He's yes. a reality star, and, and his whole appeal is this populist dynamic but he knows to 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 tone it down and go for middle america whereas the hollywood argument which i might agree with the the merits of that argument isn't going to appeal to john q public in new hampshire or iowa or certainly anywhere in the south but here here, this is an interesting question because uh, there was somebody i don't remember who it was somebody that i follow on twitter that started this sort of discussion and their argument was the democrats need to find a celebrity no. to run for office no no no, no they're arguing so yeah so no i'm not they i had a celebrity her name was hillary clinton <laughs> but she was terrible at the trump yeah, she kind was of bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. the argument was that the you know the ronald reagan and the donald trump these are people who aren't necessarily like policy wonks mm. they're charismatic they're they're like people are like people like them they can make compelling arguments for these ideas and you surround them well, let's with let's not go people crazy who, first of all that, well, you surround <laughs> them with policy people who can do it and and the democrats when they have nominated wonky people right people like john Kerry and whatnot they lose terribly and, and hillary clinton right people who are damn smart and know their stuff but they're not charismatic or appealing and the argument was oh, the Democrats good. need to recruit like you know a tom hanks to run for office and then you surround tom hanks with like really smart people who know policy damn it barker you're right again yeah <laughs> Say, hey you want to talk about tom hanks i'll vote for tom hanks all day See, but, that's the argument right, right but yeah and this is the thing like if you're talking about someone, you know, like, again, Tom Hanks or someone that, you know, America loves and seems level-headed and, you know, evinces policy choices and, and um, ways of thinking that people can agree with or, or at least seem reasonable, that's fine. He seems a little bit more down-to-earth. When you have, like, Meryl Streep or Ben Affleck or, um, 
on any of the other but ones. Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder or She's something. Great, great. Yeah. She is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Shoplifting, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and, like, they like they try to do this, again, this populist message thing where you know they don't believe that shit. It just, I, I, I you, you know who we need? Yeah. I just, Damn it. If, if Paul Newman was still alive, the Democrats would have a chance, right? I mean, Wait. Paul Newman died? Yes. Because <laughs> no, that would be the guy, right? A guy who made salad dressing, who was committed to liberal causes, comes back to life. And no, yeah. Damn it, Paul That's Newman. Why Ronald Reagan was the best at this stuff. He was, the, he was one of the best blends of that. But that okay, Phil. I agree with you in terms of getting elected. I don't think that's necessarily good for the democracy, though. No, no, no. My my first reaction was total opposition to that. Yeah. But I thought yeah. that as I thought about it more, I thought it was interesting because they, I mean, I think I think there's a there's an underlying element to it that is not celebrity, but it's that that you have to be real, right? Like yeah. the the charis the people the Democrats who have been successful have been the Bill Clintons and the Barack Obamas who are like yeah. Very likable and very real, flaws and warts and all, and and but they're like there's somebody that you you feel like, and it's part of the reason why I think people like. I mean, I don't know that he fits this mold exactly, but Joe Biden, right? Yeah. People like certainly Republicans don't like Joe Biden, but but Joe Biden was sort of you know like he and and it's Bernie Sanders, right? Bernie Sanders is not necessarily charismatic, but he's real, right? Real, authentic. You believe it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know. Talk to any conservative. Look, I don't agree with anything that he says, but I, for one hundred percent, believe that he believes what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it makes sense. Yeah, to to a pitch a candidate like that. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Like, who's the next Democrat? No, they don't have. It's not there. Joe Biden is that guy, but he's not obviously going to run. And there's. Well, he'll be seventy-eight. Yeah, no, you, you can't do that. No, that this is the big question for the Democrats. They need to find that charismatic, that dynamic, and whether it's Cory Booker, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a yeah. couple contenders, but yeah. yeah. And and uh, again, Phil, I don't think that celebrity is necessarily a bad thing. They do need to find the right person, though, right. and I I think that's what to some extent the Republicans did with with Reagan. I think he yeah. was a good blend of that. And, you know, he did have some experience, and he was charismatic, and he was also a well-known celebrity for what that counted. It's going to be an interesting time for Democrats in the sense of, like, trying to figure out to what extent do you stand up to Trump, to what extent do you work with him. And, I, I like, you're trying to predict sort of the mood of the country two or four years from now, and that's hard to do, but... Yeah, like I, you know, there's, there's, you see sort of different approaches. You have Democrats who are sort of accommodating and going along with Trump. You've got Kristen Gillibrand, Gillibrand from New York, right, yeah, who has yeah. voted against every, with the exception of uh, UN, uh, what's her name, Haley, um, Nikki Haley, yeah, yeah. Um, she's voted against every yeah. Trump nominee, right, who's sort of setting out her, and you know, it'll be interesting to see how who emerges from this. Because there's the, uh, the the Democratic base is like sort of like foaming at the mouth. They are angry right, right now, and right? I, so, and I think you have to be very strategic right now and pick your battles, right? So when and, and that may or may not be this this Supreme Court nominee, right? You have to decide when you're going to push hard. And I think Trump's going to give you those opportunities. So maybe you say if if he makes a smart choice, pull back. Don't right. push on that one. Wait until he does the dumb thing, which he will, right? Give yes. him time. He will do the dumb thing. Will. 
He's yeah. done like 12 of them this week. Right. And, and that has brought people out, right? It's mobilized publics. And then, you know, finally Democrats figured this out and they, they seized upon it. No, so, right. uh, yeah, no. Yeah, and, and I, I think to that point and kind of going along with the, the elitist kind of celebrity thing, this is their time to make themselves actually a, a populist. Got to. Par, uh, yep. You know, a, a, yeah. a people-focused, be as transparent as humanly possible we're compromising on this, and this is how we're talking to Trump and the administration. Yep. We disagree with them on this. This is what we wanted. They didn't allow us to do that. You know, yep. be be real. Yep. Don't play the fucking game that everyone else is playing. Yep. I don't know why I'm helping that side. No, no. Why well, is this happening? Well, because I, I, I think you're right. I think this is a time for the. It'll be interesting to see how Democrats respond. But I think the Democrats are crazy not to fully oppose Trump on sort of everything because it really? doesn't necessarily across matter. the board everything yeah like Trump's got, I mean if Trump wants to do it he can do it right he's got he's got control of the Senate and the House or whatever so you're making sort of a, a, a principled stand right and I think the reason I say that I don't normally argue for that because I don't normally go for the pure partisan stuff but I think like the the examples you see are like the ACLU who like makes this clear stance against Donald Trump and they raise it was like it was like six times the regular national fundraising in like two days. Yeah. Right. Like I think normally I would not necessarily say that's the way you do it. But I, I mean, well, I think we're going to talk next week about the Supreme Court stuff and yeah. I, I have to yeah. think about it more. But at this point, I sort of think the Democrats should fight tooth and nail against it. And, and I think the reason they should is that, you know, the Republicans can win if they want. Right. Yeah. Like, it's not it's not necessarily about stopping it. I think they should. But I think it's about feeding their base and letting them know, like, like you have people who are fired up and they want to see this. Right. And so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And realistically, I think that's politically expedient. And yeah, you're yeah. throwing red meat at the base. Yeah. Is that best for the democracy? Is that best right. for the country? That's, that's a whole other, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you, if you just, if your goal is to do nothing, but play the long game and, and win eventually. Yeah. Absolutely. Do nothing but appeal to your base, just like the Republicans did, and right. just just keep injecting those steroids in there and, and see what happens. Okay, yeah. See, I won't even say what that was that he just I would, did. <laughs> I would say, so I think the Democrats got to decide, do you want to make this about the Democrats or do you want to make this about Trump? And if I'm the Democrats, I make this about Trump. And so on the recent Supreme, was it Gorish? How do you say his name? Gorsuch. 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 On this, I I have a little bit of I, I protest the way in which Republicans did this, yeah. but then I pull back and I wait for something else because I don't want this to be about the Democrats. I want everything to be about Trump's inadequacy in the Republican Party. I, I I'm strategic. I I hammer when he's an idiot and I pull back when he makes a good decision. Uh, and so that's why yeah. I would protest the way in which the Republicans went about the Supreme Court nomination. But then ultimately I would say, you can have them. See, I, 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 I've thought a lot about this, and I, I will probably by next week change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, how I, here's where I stand now. I think the Democrat response is to express very clearly – like here's how I would respond. I would respond by expressing very clearly – that on most nominations, a president has leeway to do whatever they want, right? And under the under the understanding that the person is qualified. So in a normal year, Gorsuch, even though I have issues with some of his, 
you know, stances or rulings, eminently qualified and should be confirmed. Smart dude, yeah. Sure. But in this situation, right, that the the Republicans refused to hear an eminently qualified candidate that was nominated with a year to go in the Obama administration. And so you, you make it clear that assuming, assuming in the future the Senate, the Republicans are willing to work and nominate and confirm Democratic uh, nominees, we will do the same. But in response to the yeah. way that they handled this last one, we are going to fight it tooth and nail. It's it's if you're if you've taken if you've done international relations stuff. No, that's that's right. Threat, yeah, there's got to be right? a deterrent, right? Yeah, it's for tat, right? Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm open thing. to that. But that's <laughs> the problem. Like you're just playing the same game over and over again. It's that vicious cycle. And this no. is how we got into the situation that we're in now. But that's why you make it clear that the only reason you're doing this is yeah. because of the way they responded last time. You're if, not going to you're not going to bend respond, over. Yeah. If if they respond, if they go back to old, they they have shown through research that this works actually. This yeah. like, and that's the so, thing. I have no doubt in my mind that it works right. 100%. I'm right. saying it's not right. And if you want to play the long game and mm. do what's best for the democracy, you you have an opportunity but, now to change the game. See, I, I, no, I, I kind of I, I think about this a lot, right? Because I think that the norms and institutions really matter, which is why I I, I think like in the like there's a part of me that really wants to say, even though the Republicans screwed over the Democrats, the Democrats should do the right thing, right? But if you do that, they just screw you over, over and over. And, and historically, over. Democrats of late have been screwed over yes. by Republicans who are really right. Completely agree. Yeah. So, th but and we've all agreed on this. This is a historic moment that is different than mm -hmm. any other in the history of the United States. You have, you can latch on to that. You can be part of that story. Why would you not take mm -hmm. advantage of that? Instead of doubling down on the bullshit that got you into the situation in the first place, and maybe you can do both, right? I think that I think the Democrats can still say what happened was illegitimate, make their you know yes. whatever their gripe, and and maybe that means delay for a certain period of time. I think that's the th but that's that's totally the like weak Democrats. No, no, yeah, you can delay, you can delay. You could delay this for weeks, right? You could say we're not gonna we're not gonna hear this for a month, right? Uh, and it becomes the news every single day. And then you say, all right, now in those states where there are uh, Democrats in you know red states, we're gonna let those eight individuals make the vote and then move on, right? You make your case and you move on. Frame it in any other situation, right? So Russia invades Ukraine. That's Should okay. So the Russia invades Ukraine, in the U.S. says, that's wrong, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. And then Russia invades Estonia, and the U.S. is like, that's wrong, we're going to be principled and, and we'll critique you, but hey, those were we're, your not going, we're not going to take military action because we believe in what's right, right? Like at some point, yeah, I, I think you're right, but at yeah, some point, I, oh, yeah. like the, the Russians are laughing at you, right? At some point, the Republicans are just going, are laughing at you. No, because, yeah, and I think there has to be a differentiation between domestic issues that are affecting people in the country and, you know, looking like assholes to the rest of the world. Well, and, and no, I, I'm in agreement with you. Which in this, Trump is going to take care right. of anyways. <laughs> I'm in agreement with you, Phil, that the Democrats can't get pushed over on this, right? They have to say there's a cost for what you did. Sure. Right. And there's going to be a penalty uh, or, you know, you, we've got to work something out where you say, like, you acknowledge or in the future this hasn't happened. Whatever that deal is, there's got to be a penalty because it has to be tit for tat. 
But I just think at some point, the political consequences for riding this out overwhelm that, right? So you've got to find that that line where you're pushing back, you're saying this is a, you stole this, this right. Supreme Court seat, but for the benefit of the democracy, so, we're going to move forward. That, so that's the debate that goes on in my head, which yeah. is that I think the principles and I think the, the norms and the traditions matter, right? Yes. And so when the Republicans don't abide by them, the question then becomes... Do the Democrats continue to abide by them because they believe in these principles? Yeah. But is that the wrong thing to do, to basically say, you're not playing by these principles we believe in, and so we're going to just move on and act like nothing happened, right? So there's there's two arguments that can be made, right? One of which yes. is we're going to be constrained by the norms that we think are important. The other of which is to say, when you don't abide by these norms, we have to do something about it. And right? the, yes, no, I agree. And then the other, but there, there's a couple options, ways they could implement that. One might be you throw a fit about the illegitimate way in which they stole this Supreme Court seat, yeah. ultimately allowing Gorsuch to get on the seat. And then if there's another opening on the seat, anywhere within the last year, year and a half, you say, now this isn't happening, right? Uh See, this is where I think the Democrats have a unique opportunity because they can throw a total fit. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> because nobody because... wants a total fit, though. Who no, wants no, a total no. fit? Oh, the protesters. Oh, well, all right. They're ready well, for a fit. reasonable people so, want total so, fits? A fit is the wrong word. They can, they can push back in every way by saying that essentially you have abandoned the norms of how we do this. Mm -hmm. and, and they can push back in a way that doesn't in the end, actually cause catastrophe. Because in the end, the Republicans can get their nominee if yeah. they want, right? So yeah. the, in the end, Gorsuch is going to get approved, right? He's, he's, they have enough votes. They might have to change the filibuster rules, but he's going to get approved. And so if he's going to get approved, it seems like this is yeah. a place that you can make a principled stand. Mm -hmm. and, on, and the norms, on the norms, on the norms. Right, to express your concerns about the way things were handled in the past. And... Yeah, I, you know, that's, I don't know. No, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I go back and forth. I really no, do. I, I, I do as well. I will say, in terms of arguing for the norms mattering more than the institutions, I think with Trump, this is significant. Because it's possible that down the road, if you don't reinforce those norms, the Supreme Court makes a decision that he doesn't agree with. And he says, well, I'm not going to respect that, right? So that's why the norms are important. The, 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 the practices that we've always abided by with the respect of the institutions matter. Right. Uh, so, no, I, But that's I, the thing. Like, if he does that, he's an illegitimate president. Like, it, it, he, he, you, you can't do that. No. And I think even that's where yeah. it starts feeding or, you know, chipping away at his base. That's the bullshit point. Yeah. My question is, can he, though? Right. Like, so let's say the Supreme Court ruled against something and Trump says, screw it, I'm not we're going to enforce it anyway. The courts can't do anything about it. And I sort of think that his base would eat that shit up. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on the issue. I, yeah, I, I think there is a significant element of that base that would do that. I also think there are way more Republicans who are not part of that base who would oppose that point. That's where you get the constitutional crisis. Yeah. No, right. I, yeah, yeah I, I think that's what's. That, that's what scares me, right? Is that I don't I, I want to believe that a, a big enough percentage of the Republican base would be opposed to that. Yeah. And but I I and I think there is a big chunk of the Republican base that would be opposed to that. But I like 
I don't know. Like when I look at Paul Ryan, I see a man who wants to get his agenda passed and doesn't really care that much about the sort of norms and the checks on power and whatnot, as long as he gets his policy passed. Right. So I, I, yeah. That's the, no, that is that's the the most important of all of this is like reinforcing the democratic norms. There's a variety of ways we can judge a president. President, like reinforcing the nature of the democracy is so significant. Yeah. The, the Economist did a they do a measure every year of of democracies, and this is the first year the United States dropped out of full democracy. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't just Trump. There were a variety of reasons: was, money and politics. It yeah. was before Trump, actually. The yeah. findings came out were before Trump, and it was based on. An erosion of faith in institutions. It was it was uh, a variety yeah. of issues that that have been obvious in U.S. politics for a number of years that helped sort of manifest yeah. the situation we're in. Sure. But yeah, That's... yeah, <clears throat> the, right. the tension's not well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't talked about our beers, Nick. Nick. No, and we've got way, way. Wait, are we over time? Are we over time? Way over. Okay. Time else we haven't talked about. <laughs> All right. And, and I know that we don't have time to talk about this, what? but I feel like I should say. That the U.S. in their first like significant military operation since Trump took over launched this raid in Yemen, yep, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. not all that concerned about it being Trump's first thing, but we killed an eight-year-old American girl. Yes, in the process, and nobody's talking about it. So, nah, I was. I'm I would not say, even gonna. Uh, here's here's what I would say. No, absolutely, and I yeah. think part of this is the fact that <laughs> Trump has so consumed the conversation. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about an American. The American was lost in all of this. This was like a, on the so on the margins of what's going on. I I, I love this. I don't. I hate the situation, yeah. right? Because an eight year old child was killed. But I I love it. And like from it from a teaching perspective, it's really fascinating because she's an American citizen, but she's the daughter of a terrorist, yeah. right? Like yeah. she was her her father was killed by the u.s a few US, years ago yeah. because it was a told he was a member of al-qaeda and all sorts of other stuff but it brings all of these different issues that we're talking about about oh. you know all right I, it's really kind of an interesting we don't i know we don't have time you know the, the other thing i yeah. feel like nobody else is talking about it so I should no no that's that's no, actually no, a good point all right what cares we can go over one final thing <laughs> the other thing we're not talking about the 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 most philosophical conversation nobody's having is whether we can punch Nazis. Like this was a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then what? Well, because uh, Rick Spencer, Rick the Spencer. the leader of the alt right, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, was punched like viciously, and it led to like this minor conversation about whether it's ethical to punch Nazis. And then Trump did something stupid, and the conversation ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Phil, back back to your point. Although I didn't you don't like, like punching Nazi. Nazis. No, I, no. I could, <laughs> actually, that's what I was going to close with. Um, so, and, and I completely agree with you. That's that's a horrible thing that happened, and it should have gotten way more attention. Nobody talked about Anwar Al Laki's kid getting killed yeah. a week after Absolutely. he died, and the the drone strikes and the night raids all over the world that nobody talks about, where there are dozens, yeah. if not hundreds, of civilians killed on a monthly basis yep. which all happened under obama's watch yeah. you're absolutely you're 100 right yeah. yeah this is something that obama should take way more heat for yeah. right the, the drone war the targeting killing is is appalling right. you're 100 right and, boom and, and yeah <laughs> nope you and i are we agree on that <laughs> no it's an important point and that's definitely something like i want to be able to get back into the international thing but there's just so much shit going on right it, now. it is and I, I think i think it's worthwhile spending time on trump because of the historic nature yeah. of all this so mm. yeah mm. 
hey, you guys want to know what beer I drank tonight? No. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, before you get to that, let me just say this. The whole punching, punching Nazi debate, mm-hmm. everybody's missing the fact Nazis punch back. Yeah, real hard. Yeah, real right. Hard. Everybody's like, "Oh, I'd punch a Nazi." Well, no. What if a, what if you punch a Nazi and they punched you back? Yeah, <laughs> I'm anti-punching Nazis because <laughs> you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, man. don't go into the fight. So what you're saying is that in the discussion of punching Nazis, no one's taking into account your cowardice. Yes, right, right. right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when the battle occurs, Barker, and 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 everybody is running into the battle, I'm running the other way, asking if somebody's serving lattes. So yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. You're gonna find the weakest guy on the right. edge of the, the yeah. Field. yeah. All right, all right, so, Bill. What are you, uh, Phil? What are you drinking? So I, I actually had beer tonight. I was in such a hurry. I did not have a time to have a time. I didn't have the time to <laughs> make yeah. my fancy cocktail. So I had first beer I had was a Garrison City Beer Works. Out of Dover, New Hampshire, I'm repping my uh, home state. A Citra dry hopped pale ale. I thought it was really good, actually. It's yeah. the first one. It's the first time I've had one of those. Mm-hmm. And the second, and I don't, I don't, I, I like pale ales, but I'm not like a huge fan of IPAs. But that one was good. The second one, I don't even know how to read the label, but it appears <laughs> to be a two, <laughs> a two roads road to ruin double IPA. This one's out of Connecticut. It's complicated. Yeah, uh, it is complicated, but it was it was really good. I actually really enjoyed that one. Two roads brewing. Dot com. If anyone from <laughs> two roads brewing. Com is listening, <laughs> feel free to send me merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Oh, should I go next, Nick? Oh, yeah. All right. So I had two local uh, breweries. One, so the first beer I had was from Buckle Down Brewery, which is in uh, Lyons, Illinois. It's called Belt and Suspenders, a fantastic American IPA. Very, very good. Uh, And then in Naperville, Illinois, uh, Solemn Oath, I had a Fun Sponge, which was a light, citrusy... Belgian-American blonde ale. So I, I liked both of them. And mm. if they also want to send us gear or any kind they of support... They can send it to Phil Barker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. So you got? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I keep having two brothers just... So they're out of Warrenville, Illinois. Fantastic brewery. Awesome brewery. Like, probably... I still think they're my favorite brewery of any place that I've had. Yeah. I can't talk. Um... So I had a sidekick, extra pale ale. If you ever have a chance to to get it, um, absolutely do. It's it's fantastic. Uh, I can't recommend them highly enough. Um, what was this? What are you laughing at? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, actually, I've had different ones from these guys. Uh, Golden Road out of uh, L.A. Three three hundred twenty nine days of sun lager. Um, which I'm normally not a lager guy, but it was, it was nice. It wasn't, you know, too too bland. It was, it was nice. It felt like summer. I, the can is summer dare too. Say. It's like something yeah. out of California. I just needed yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. See that? Yeah. Palm trees on the can. Yeah, yeah palm that's trees. Nice. Yeah. yeah, we haven't seen sunlight in no, like Illinois. No Fifteen sun. days. Yeah. It's horrible here. Um, yeah. I, um, Final thoughts on anything? So should we preview next week? We're going to do Supreme Court. Yeah, so I think we're going to have the three of us. Um, Tom Cavanaugh is going to be joining us again, yeah. hopefully, as long as he can make it. Um, do you want to promote uh, iTunes and yeah, shameless plugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick, I got a list. <laughs> Is yeah. Tom the only one joining us next week, or is Alex coming? I think Tom is just going to join us, yeah. yeah. All right. 
Um, yeah, so if you didn't know, uh, and you're still getting this on SoundCloud, we are on iTunes now. Um, just search for Barstool Politics. We're on there. Uh, our Facebook page is up, uh, at Barstool Politics. So I'm going to start putting up the different beers that we try, and, you know, you can check those out. Uh, and just funny, stupid things that I put up there. They tend to be movie quotes related to politics. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we're... We're going to keep doing that. So my uh, my ending point on yeah. this. Uh, so I'm going back to my original theory that uh, he is, uh, uh, this is the producers, and he oh. didn't think he was going to get this far. So this is springtime for Hitler. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's my viewpoint on everything at this point. All The whole discussion that we had doesn't mean anything, because he doesn't want to be there anyways. So that's that's my end point. It's not far from. It may not be far from the truth. No, I mean this is sort of a whole other discussion. But I I think you're like there's been this kind of debate in the media about whether or not this is like this brilliant sort of masterminded plot to sort of undermine society or whether he's like a total idiot. And I I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? He's just he he's not all that prepared, mm. and he's implementing policies, right? And he's yeah. implementing them poorly. Yeah. But I don't think it's like a masterminded plot. And I and and yeah, I mean, I think it's it's I, I don't know. I think he may be an idiot and a circus clown, but Bannon is not, right? And so that that scares me, right? There are there are at least a couple of voices who know what they're doing, and they're whispering in Trump's ear. So I think Nick is not far from the truth. Yes. Um, although it would be nice if he could put on a production of Springtime for Hitler. I thought that would be very entertaining. Um, yeah, I, I will. I think we're going to try and do these on a on a weekly basis at this point. So uh, we'll probably see you guys. Uh, we won't see you because we don't know who the hell you are. Um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you next week then. Um, anything else, guys? We're good. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers.